Welcome back to We're Not Selling Shoes here, the podcast for small charities looking to raise awareness uh, because we know that awareness always leads to income. And I like to think of this as the only podcast for small charities that focuses not just on why we're driven to do what we do, but also provides some practical ways that we can achieve that awareness and work towards that income to cross the funding gap. Today, I'm talking with Liam DC. Head of Fundraising and Marketing at Memphis, which is a charity working with disabled children and young people under the age of 25 to provide guidance for families, respite and activity clubs, and individual and employability support. Thanks for joining me, Liam. Great to have you. No problem. Great to be on, Ben. I'm looking forward to it. Good, good. Um, my first question to kick us off, a bit icebreaker. I was just admiring your very, very sharply attired picture on LinkedIn. <laughs> and um, and that immediately made me think about uh, about your background, where you're from. I was speaking to somebody, um, a lady called the Zoe from Alex's Wish, who I think we both know, yeah. uh, about her background in the corporate world uh, the other day in, in the podcast before this. And I was, but I was looking at yours, and, and you've had quite a lot of fundraising experience. Bit back at Dorothy Goodman Academy, you know, involved in fundraising communications. But then you were out into um, the more corporate world and then you've come back to Memphis. And I guess, you know, the point of the podcast, the point of getting you on here is just to ask that question of why are you doing what you're doing right now instead of out there selling shoes? And what brought you into the nonprofit world? So I'm just going to year 10 of voluntary or full time employment within the sector. Um, I spent a decade in the corporate world. And then in 2012, my mom was diagnosed with a form of leukemia, CLL. Um, and that then led to me signing up for the London Marathon to raise money for what was then leukemia and lymphoma research. Uh, it's, it was then Bloodwise and now it's Blood Cancer UK. Um, and it was just one of those spare of the moment, what can I do to um, raise a little bit of money to try and find a solution to my mom's leukemia, which the doctors wonderfully described as the best worst case scenario. Um, so it was a um, a journey into the unknown for me. Really, I was in the corporate world. We we done a little bit of work for Great Ormond Street and Shelter, and then smaller local Leicestershire organisations. But it was never really on my radar until then um and i crazily said just to try and get my marathon place i would raise three and a half thousand pounds for for that uh, when i was running the marathon um i didn't want to go into it and just go can i have 10 pounds give me 10 pounds and and get as many people as i know to give me the cash donation i set up a thing called sign it for llr um and leveraged my contacts within the sporting world and social media world to get signed items sent over to me which then were raffled and auctioned and so if you if you put some money into it into the donation you automatically went in to, to get something for your money um then i was offered the opportunity by a former boss at the corporate world job i was in to go and be the uh, head of fundraising at dorothy goodman school um, again after two years of working within the corporate world, running the charity team in the corporate world and then going into something new, it was daunting, but a fresh start. And I could take some of my ideas into a role that was created especially for me. Worked with children and young people with disabilities then for, um, that were three to 19 for four years, three and a half, four years with arena of raised the profile of, of the school um, raise some financial money and support from the business world um, and that went really well um, resulting in the a new secondary school being built uh, in 2018 and then I fancied a bit of a break from the sector um, 
so I went and spent 18 months back in the in the SME local business world uh, in, around Leicester and then really missed it. I'd done some consulting and some support um, for organisations around Leicester and thought, you know what, why am I supporting other people? Um, why don't I get back into it? And this opportunity came up in 2020, started on the 2nd of January 2020 at Memphis, and then the world went crazy in March. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's back into it and and I, I I really enjoy actually the tangible results of seeing the differences made to children and young people. And that's a, a big part of my mentality with this is that I actually see results on a daily basis. Um, and that was what I was going to ask is um, you said you missed it. So you went out, you know, you're an SME uh, for 18 months, two years and and you missed something. And can you tell us what it was? that you felt that you missed and how much of that connected to who you were as a person, as opposed to just what you did on a day-to-day basis, you know, as a job. Um, there was an element of sales to the role um, that I went into and the results of selling were, were not as fulfilling as getting some money in, which would then change a life, whether that changed a life for a, an hour, uh, a day, a week, a month, a year, lifetime um there's something very different about that change and actually making a difference to a life than than what i was doing back in that world i enjoyed it it was a nice break um but it really cemented that the fulfillment of going home at the end of the day wasn't the same um selling space in a magazine or selling event space and things like that in the corporate world and the business world didn't give me the same feeling at the end of the day that Changing a life or altering a life for a short amount of time can make that I'm a lot. I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm making huge differences in in changing the situations of these families, but we are seeing tangible results at the end of that. That and and that was a big thing for me is that is just is to actually see that and make a difference where I don't think I was doing that in the job I was in before. Do you think there's a pattern there in terms of, um, you obviously talked about fulfillment, which is, for me, is really important as well. And, you know, the people I'm speaking to in the other podcasts, it also seems to be that that is one of the reasons that we're not out there selling shoes. I mean, I was saying on um, on LinkedIn not so long ago that, you know, it's there are there are some people for whom selling shoes is a really, really good pastime. And it's something that, that gives them fulfillment. And that, you know, there are some of us, and I'd count myself among us, that need something maybe a little more, but that you, it's very difficult to change the world in bare feet. That, you know, there is a function, there is a level that everybody can kind of connect to, that actually selling shoes still has that, you know, that really, that purposeful kind of outcome. But in terms of fulfilment, in terms of looking at, um, you know, the role that you were doing, the life that you had, one of the reasons I asked about the difference between the way you felt as a person as opposed to the way you felt in the role is because I thought you might go into this area of fulfillment and the fact that um, you probably, even in the corporate world, would you say that you have taken your work home with you, that actually you were looking for personal fulfillment in a corporate role? Would that have been right? Absolutely. I, th- I think the, the, for the corporate world, I, I lived and breathed it. That was the, what I did. I, I I um I would go to work at six and come home at nine at night and not see see the kids because I put my all into that with the financial benefits to come with it, but the financial benefits weren't the reason. I, I was never driven by the fancy cars and and the nice money that comes with it, and the, and um I was just happy that if I could support my family and and be fulfilled nine till five or as it was six till nine, um that. Uh, I would do the best of what I could do, um, but there was always a, there was always something there was which was never going to fulfil what I was. I just didn't know it at the time. Um, it actually took something reasonably tragic to to awaken me to something that I um, I should have always done. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's the it's the, a small positive to come out of something that. Um, has has been pretty torturous for for my family over the last 
10 years. I have to say my mum is still alive. She, she, she's still um, she's still on watch and wait with her cancer, but she's um, it was always that thing to go, how can I make a difference? And what I did find is that when I was doing the the work for leukemia research and, and trying to do that, that there wasn't that fulfillment. There was the fulfillment of reaching a financial target which would make a difference. But I never know, I never knew what, what the outcomes of that was. And I think that's another thing that's important to me is actually it's okay doing support for um, leukemia research at the time, but I didn't ever hear about because it's such a large organization, I never heard about the actual support it was making for families. And I think that's why I've sort of not got into the bigger organizations. I've stayed, I've I've I've, I've drawn to the smaller organizations where you're actually seeing it. And I think like like Zoe that you spoke you've spoken to recently, theirs is a research-based organization, but they're seeing the results of of the, of, uh, on a daily basis and because they're a small organization they've got the story they're hearing and seeing the impact whereas i don't always see that from the bigger the bigger organizations that i'm not saying that not, they're not doing a great job they, they are but you don't see the tangible results as much because they're working with a bigger a bigger part of people really or a bigger part of, of, of different situations so um yeah, it's the, the fulfillment and the I put my all into everything I do and and look, it's I never switch off. Um I don't switch off now in this in this job and I, I think I have a, a 90 minute period on a Saturday of the football, which is my only time when I'm concentrating on something different. And um, normally there's ideas going through my head, uh ways of trying to do things. Um and yeah, my my family love that side of me really. Um, I can just stop and write a note in my phone or write a note in a notebook in the middle of a field while we're supposed to be doing something as a, as a, as a family. Um, I've set up ideas when I've been out for a walk and come back and my wife's gone, you, you've been out for a walk and you've come back and you've got a fully, a fully put together um, fundraising plan with artwork. How have you done that while you went out for a walk? Like, well, well that's, that's, there is no such thing as a, a nine to five. There's no work-life balance is, is what it is <laughs> if there's an idea if, if i'm doing something with the family yes it's i can switch off a little bit but that's short spurts really i really want to sort of circle back if you're comfortable to talk about it in a moment about um what we talked about motivation really there about that interesting clash of motivations that you've obviously got something very close to your heart which is a family tragedy a family health issue and yet it's still not quite enough to give you that momentum to give you that impetus to go on but what I want to talk about immediately because you've just mentioned it is that that interesting um, uh, kind of contrast between working in the corporate world working as you said sort of eight till six and probably I guess sometimes seven till nine or whatever you know and being involved in it all the time and you can't switch off as a person anyway so you wouldn't have been able to switch off in the corporate world or in the non-profit world so you're always sort of working um, and yet, at the same time, you've taken that world where you were maybe getting the corporate uh, repayment of it, so the financial gain was coming, but your 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 family was still sort of suffering, obviously, in, in that element, because you were still taken away from them, um, you know, in the way that happens to us all when we have that kind of mindset. But it's interesting, isn't it, that I'm sure you're not that different in the nonprofit world, but what is it that you're family benefit from of you being fulfilled in the nonprofit world as opposed to you being unfulfilled but just as busy in the corporate world how does that how does that work i think that's it i'm a lot happier um and the hours changed um so i when i originally went into the into the sector and worked for dorothy government i did the school runs in the mornings and i did the school pickups because um, there wasn't a need for me to be within an, an office environment all of the time. So I could take my kids to school, then do the work, um, then pick them up from school, do all of the bits and pieces that were needed when they got home, and then carry on. Um, when I became less, less needed by them, I didn't need to feed them. They, they, were, they were 
I was less interesting once they were uh, at home and they got friends around or they, they got things to do. I, I, their, their need for me was less than my, my need for them, really. So um, that, that changed and I was a lot happier and I was a lot more fulfilled and um, that made a big difference um, because I, I was a different person. I wasn't coming home and just being tired from a a day of day in the office. I was I was probably tired from a lot of, of doing a lot of work, but I could talk a lot happier about a young person that we made a difference to, a, a fundraising idea that we put together, a, a result, whether positive or negative, from an event or something, an idea that we put together, and it was a lot different. And I found the same when I went out of it for for 12, 18 months that although I was out, I went to the opening of an envelope basically for the first 12 months. Um, I was out all the time, um, but I probably wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. Um, and the good thing about it now is that my children are a little bit older and I can, I can throw myself into it and um, actually get their support along the way and their ideas um, because they know what young people want to do. It doesn't matter they haven't got a disability. They know what young people want. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is to try and make it that equality of ideas. It's not what these young people can't do. It's what they can do. Um, so they're, they're on the journey as well. And I think my eldest is rubbed off. He did a challenge in 2019 where he raised £4,500 for the V-Shire Foundation at Leicester City by running 60 miles in 60 days and my son's got a chronic lung condition um but the fulfillment of going and doing that every night and doing just one out one mile around the block um actually there was health benefits for him but also there was he was he was fulfilled by the fact that every time he got a donation in he put up a smile on his face and i think that's that's similar to myself i think for me fulfillment um really really is what it comes down to i've said before on this podcast that um i i'm not fulfilled by money and I, I don't think many people are really fulfilled by money itself the number the sort of physical amount of money because obviously money is just something that enables you to get to something else so it's really just you know it's a channel what i really really find interesting as well though is you talking about time the time that you had to do certain things because there wasn't certain pressures. And that for me is what actually money represents to me is freedom. And, but also really what, what the choices that I'm trying to make as well represent is that I'm much more motivated by freedom and by opportunity than I am by money to buy stuff or by material kind of output. Not to say that I'm a wonderful person, you know, cause I'm quite selfish. I mean, you know, I, I run these um, fortnightly events that you've come to as well. Yeah. And one of the things that they actually so enjoyable about is the fact that actually, selfishly, they make me feel great. They make me feel like I've had a wonderful day. I'm going to do one this afternoon. I'm a bit jittery about it, but I know afterwards I'll be energised, I'll be up and I'll be buzzing. It's great for me. So it's not that I'm saying that we're, we're amazing people for doing these things, but I think it's really interesting that how many people might not look into that fulfilment process that they're fulfilled and therefore fulfilment isn't just good for them but like you say I, I probably use the expression um, I've heard quite a lot of you being present so you do the corporate run and you try and get the money in and you get maybe the material kind of payoff for all that time and freedom that you've given up um, but it doesn't bring you fulfilment and so you're not present in those moments to actually enjoy what you've got out of it whereas you go in to do something that fulfills you on a level that can't be even touched by money. And then in every other moment of your life, you might still be tired, you might still be overworked, you might still be stressed, you might still be pressured, but it's in a different way and you're present in those moments. So then you get to do things like you take them to school. Um, and I don't know how it works for you, but working from home and working independently for me, I take my kids to school every morning and I feel like I get so much out of just even that 25 minutes with them that if I was more pressured and had less freedom, it would look, it would be such a chore. It'd be such a process that I would be waiting for it to be over that I wouldn't be present in it. But I didn't really discover that until just recently about how to have that, that 
that being present in the moment. And I'm, I'm sure it's connected to that feeling fulfilled with what we do. But at the same time, you've got to make money because we've got to make money to have that freedom. So how on earth do you balance in your head the, the fact that you're working in a job to make money with the fact that you know, you're also doing something that keeps you fulfilled? What kind of world does that look like? How do you keep those two worlds together? And do you ever have any clashes between, you know, do you sit there and think, actually, I need to get another job because I don't have enough money to, to give people the things I want or to, you know, have the life I want? It's interesting because this is this comes up a lot. Is that um, there's a there's a lot of talk about why can't you do that voluntary? Why can't you do that in your own time? Why do you need to get paid for it? Why would your salary be better off in um, in uh, the hands of the families that you're trying to work with? Um, and I think it adds pressure on me. It adds stress on me. It's a good pressure and it's a good stress because I I know I've got to earn my salary. Um, I don't think I earned my salary in the corporate world. I think I earn the corporation money. Um, my first thing when we come to a, to a new financial year is to raise double my salary. Um, no one's asking me to do that. It's a justification to myself that I've very quickly paid for my salary for the 12 months. So we are in profit. Every, and then the money's going towards other things in the charity. Yes, there are other other people in here that we that are earning a salary. Yes, that adds extra pressure because everyone knows the stories about charities that have got massive uh, incomes in that are operational and, and salaries. I've got no personal problem with that myself, um, as long as the results are multiples of what they're out there, their operational costs are. Um, this is more stressful then, to be honest, than the corporate world because I, I've got a lot more pressure on my shoulders. In the corporate world, if I didn't reach my targets, the business wasn't going to go under. If I don't reach what I'm trying to achieve, the charity disappears. Um, and then the families that I am trying to support struggle. I work for the families. I've always said that. I don't work for the trustees and the CEO. They're just my guidance and support and make some decisions that I can't change. But ultimately, I work for the families because that's what I want to do. Uh, I'm, I'm very much, I wrote it in a LinkedIn post the day, and all this all comes back to the story with my mom and the, and the personal side of things is that I am impact and results over pounds and pence. Um, but I realised that, yes, there are people that are, that's, livelihoods, life, mortgages, school, children are all reliant on the fact that they've got a job here. But in an ideal world, and I see this across the board, is that, that a charity should be working to make themselves redundant, not financially redundant, but not needed anymore. Um, and there will be plenty of other causes that um, that will need support in that world and they can take and transfer those skills. Yes, there are some organisations like cancer research. Why is cancer research there? Ultimately, it's to find a cure to cancer. Um, do I believe that all cancer charities are there for that? That means no. It's become an industry within itself. But ultimately, we're trying to solve a problem. If we're not, if we're not here to solve a problem, then what are we here for? Could I go into, back into the corporate world and have there been opportunities to go back into the corporate world where I could be earning double my salary? Absolutely. With this conversations come up recently with my wife and we put the pros and cons together and ultimately it come back to be, you'd be miserable. Yes, we'd have more money in the bank. Yes, we'd have a nice car. Yes, we'd be able to go on more holidays, but you'd be a horrible person to be around because that fulfillment wouldn't be there. So it's... Um, and it's a long answer to your question, but I think that's the, that's the thing is that the, the pressures are there and the stress is definitely higher than it was in the corporate world because I've got, I've got families, I've got other people that are reliant on me to do my job. But um, it's also that fulfilment of going home at the end of the day, knowing that you're happy and you're, you're present, like you say, and, and 
I'm doing what I love rather than chasing the next new car or the, the, the my my kids get what my kids get and and that's not down to the salary that's down to me working extremely harder and being good at what I do and, and being good at what I do means that my salary is covered first and if my salary goes up then my, the pressure goes up but the results are should always be a lot more um, and I'm sure we'll come back to it later on but it's a um, it's a big part of what I do is is not is to make sure that whatever money I'm taking home is that there is tenfold that in support. So the thing that um, that I that I now want to bring back is what we talked about is obviously your personal motivations for that first stage when you obviously had um, your mum going through that um, that health issue, um, and and then you said just just a minute ago about how you're working for the families in what you do right now. But it is really interesting, isn't it, that um, your own family, even though obviously your mum was the beneficiary of essentially the, what you were fundraising for, it didn't drive you enough. It didn't seemingly lift you enough as what you do now when those families are other people's families, although you can obviously be connected to them and see the results with them. If you're comfortable, do you mind just talking about how how odd that is because it is you know if you uh, kind of come along with me a bit it's a bit odd isn't it that we can't always see the motivations that we think will bring us along and then certain things take us and just sort of we just get carried away with things and they seem to be what energizes us how, how does that make you feel and how do you look at that situation how do you look at the motivation that you find i think although it was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of career and personal life in of, of going into that world it was naivety to be fair it was if i raise money for if i raise i didn't even know what the figure was if i raise money for for leukemia research there's a small chance that my mum will be cured of this cancer the reality of that when you think about it 10 years on and that's madness if it, it, the pure naivety that thinks and I think that happens with a lot of people, whether it's a personal, a personal thing or a family thing. They go into something to try and give back to, to something that is related to, I don't know, whether it's cancer, whether it's uh, hospices, whether, what that, whatever that world looks like. It's, it's normally related to support or a, trying to find a solution to, to uh, a health issue or a, a problem that is out there in the world. Um, and yes initially I found fulfillment the honest truth is that the more I got into the the corporate side of of charity in the bigger sense the more I disliked it um and this is but I'm not saying it's not again this is a personal thing this this is not saying that, that any of the bigger organizations are not doing what their values and aims are I I just didn't it became about celebrity parties and um big ambassadors that were going through similar things to what my family were going to but they got a big name um and it wasn't about the lady down the road or my mom um and that changed things and and, and that's not a popular opinion with the bigger organizations because i'm sure i would get some pushback on that but i think it was a personal thing of, of, of tangible results i think look um would i have loved to have carried on and found a solution to my mom's cancer did i realize the more i learned about the world of, of big charity that the likelihood is the small amount of money that i raised was mainly going towards office keeping the lights on and stuff because uh, it was such a small and insignificant amount when you look at the bigger picture of, of what they're what they're doing and I'm there I'm, I'm certain I know there is because I'm still looking to uh, accounts of the big organizations there are millions and millions of pounds being put into research um, there are organizations out there that are changing the lives of cancer sufferers by just giving them the support and having been there at the end of of the phone someone to talk to something to make their lives easier um so but that's what i'm drawn to personally again it comes back to impact and results and not pounds and pence 
could I could I find could I work with an organization that was actually supporting people like my mum yes I do it I, I think that would be great um but I think that when I transferred into the to the world that I'm in now and when I was at Dorothy Goodman it, it was seeing results every day it was seeing the donation of two peas that come in bags of peas, two peas that came in from the lady who used to bring them in once a month where that went and where that made a difference and and that is very much my model of working and and I've stuck to that model through thick and thin and I'll and I'll fight my model of working um to uh with anyone and it's just that thing of the support having a service or or research or result having an impact and then recognizing that support because then it goes around again and that's my way of working that's always been my way I think for me, um, one of the reasons I'm asking and, and, and kind of doing this podcast, but also driving this, this question of motivation and, um, and the reason that you might feel a certain way about a certain thing. So recently, um, I don't know whether you saw um, Jack Monroe talking about um, the inflation rate and you know the, the, the changes to the price of, of foods at the bottom level and obviously food yeah. poverty and food banks. Now, the thing I realised, um, you know, being kind of uh, confessing is that um, I, I'd known about food banks for a long time. You know, it's obviously a tragedy. It's obviously something that makes you feel like, oh, my God, you know, living in this country, whatever it is, the sixth or the seventh richest, whatever it is, there's a hell of a lot of money in this country. And yet yeah. we have people who are working sometimes two jobs and unable to rise out of food poverty. And yet... Um, for, you know, to my own kind of detriment, I hadn't really connected with food poverty in a way that really touched me. I hadn't thought about it. It hadn't triggered me. And then I was reading this stuff uh, that Jack was writing, and a lot of it focused around um, the non-food items that food banks obviously gave out. And, um, yeah. you know, then obviously about uh, like period poverty and stuff like that. And there was something about that that just, I mean, I can feel it now it's like a knife. It's like a trigger that you feel differently about it. And for some reason, whether it's a, a failing on my part, or whether it's a, just a, a personality thing or something like that, the idea of, live, of, of a woman living without tampons or uh, anybody living without soap, for some reason that seemed to upset me and trigger me and get me motivated to do something far more even than somebody feeding their child the same thing every day and it's only a small dish of beans or you know that kind of thing and I wondered whether it's because um maybe I'd just taken certain things for granted like soap you know and obviously I don't have periods so I don't have to go through that issue as well but there was something about that story that struck me and so I thought it was interesting with you as well that that story that that really has connected to you is much more than just an illness thing to a person and even though it's so close to home literally close to home for you that something about what you do and, and clearly you know having worked in that organization that you're in before that motivation to work with with children who have different needs seems to be a part of who you are seems to be a part of of where you kind of put your efforts I don't know why I feel so and it's not just a little bit different it's, it's night and day dramatically different about um period poverty and sort of soap poverty I guess than I do about food poverty and I feel guilty about it because obviously you have these kind of needs um to feel like you're doing the right thing but anyway forget about me for a moment when you look at those motivations that you have do you have any understanding of where that feeling has come from from you for you why working for Memphis gives you such fulfillment and why the work that you do is is giving you such a sense that you're actually you know really making a difference above and beyond the results you see is there any reason in your own history or personality that you feel might have, have moved you that way i i it's a, it's a really good question because if i i think the only thing i can think is and it's it's I met the people. I met the young people. I spoke to the families. Look, I, look before I went there, I, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, and meeting people and hearing their stories, 
and realizing on some fronts how um, simple the solutions were and and just a really simple my son would like to go and play football but he can't go and play football because he's got autism well he can go and play football he just needs we just need he just needs to be directing the right place the right way or my child wants to do music lessons and my child my young person can't do this and they were really simple solutions to me as a father to to be able to go right oh i can take my son to the football why can't why is that not possible and then learning about that and really seeing how much of an impact you could have um but to know where it comes from I, I don't know. I don't. It's it's not a savvy complex. I'm I'm look. I'm I'm not an expert in in all of the details. I'm trying to learn more and more each day. But if I can offer a simple solution or a, a, a look at employability, for instance, there are opportunities for young people. They want to go and work in wherever they want to go and work in. And, um, and one of the big campaigns I ran at, at Dorothy Government, the IAIM campaign, was sitting down with young people and asking them directly. And some of them were, that's, some of the young people said, the young, well, the young ones said the same thing everyone, fireman, milkman, space or astronaut. And then you got up to it and the next, the next thing is, I want to be a footballer. I want to be in a band. I want to play basketball. Um, and then you got to the, the the older children and the ones that are on that pathway, and it became, I just want a job. I want a little bit of independence. I don't think I can, I'm going to get that. And they were solutions that you could find because, and this is not across the board, it's so varied in terms of, of disability that, no, it's not possible for every everyone. I get that. I, I, I'm not that naive to realise that that's not. But there were solutions for some young people. They just wanted to go and get the bus to work, live an independent life, and come home with some money in the pocket. Now, as a 19-year-old, that's no different to me. Apart from I didn't have the the problem, the the barriers put in front of me, or people saying you can't do that. Now, I, look, look, one young one young person said he wanted to be a basketballer. So we got the Leicester Riders down to the school. They put him through the basketball they, they, with his whole class. He then went down to the to the arena, watched the game, joined in, and then mom and dad took him down there on a regular basis. Is he going to be a professional basketballer? No. Did he get the fulfilment of going down there and socializing with other people? Did mom and dad get the benefits of being of watching him enjoy what he did? The physical benefits of being able to go and, and play basketball. Now I now roll on to where I am now. He's now 14 and he's playing, he's joined in the after school basketball. He's better than me. <laughs> he can shoot a three-pointer from the other side of the hall, and I I miss by a mile. Now I realised that there are more benefits to that than, than just him going on to be a professional basketballer or, or there are so many elements to that. And I think somewhere deep down inside, I think that's where it's come from. It's, it's not a savvy complex. It's just simple solutions to actually, if we took some of the barriers out of the way, simple, simple problems, really. Um, and I'm not saying, and I have to say that, I know it's very different and every child's different, every young person's different, every disability's different. I'm not saying there's simple solutions for everything, but there are some simple solutions out there that can be put in place. And it's, I don't live it every day. I, I, I don't, my, my children haven't got disabilities. I, it's not that, I, but I know these young people. I've met some of these young people at five or, or five or six that are now 14 and 15 and they're on, different journeys because we've we've made different we've made things available accessible we've we've put things in place so whether that was in my previous role or where I am now um and that's all it's about look, I, look I'm not going to cure disability <laughs> it's just not it's, it's, it's not going to happen um 
it's not even something that I will be stupid enough to think about. It's about what can we do to make life easier for the families and what can I do to fulfil the young people and then fulfil myself from doing that. Now, I'm sure I'll get criticism for saying what I'm saying because there'll be people that have always got an argument against that, saying that it's a, it's a God complex. It's not. <laughs> God, far from it. I think that is, that's... That's the that's the risk, isn't it? That you kind of deal with. That um, you're taking a risk of putting yourself out there and being uh, visible for people to point out and say, "Oh, he's only doing it for this reason," or you know, like you say, the savior complex or the gold complex or whatever like that. But I think you can't argue with how you feel, can you? When it comes down to it, and if you feel like you're being energized by something, and um, you know, kind of raised up by something that you do if it makes you feel good that's got to be a fantastic thing I mean without getting too sentimental about it because it's very easy to get sentimental about it but I think it's no doesn't make it less true walking down the street and smiling genuinely at every person you walk past and saying hello would actually if everybody did that would actually make the world a better place and I'm not about to say that it would cure cancer or that it would solve hunger or that it would, you know, take away any of the real societal or physical problems that we might suffer. But it just might raise that level of background happiness and, um, you know, comfort that we might all feel on a day to day basis. So I guess what I'm kind of looping around in a very sentimental way to say is I totally come on board with where you're you're coming from with that idea of simple solutions and i love that idea that it's simple solutions i honestly believe that it's very easy for us to overcomplicate things that you often see you know to talk about smes for a minute you often see that um a lot of the advice given to smes is all about right you've got a crm now let's do x y and z or right you've got um people asking you to do work for them let's start uh, improving the number of leads you've got okay you've got a whole lot of opportunities to make some sales let's start improving the conversion rate you've got but there doesn't seem to be a huge focus on saying okay most businesses that exist right now are quite young they haven't got these processes in place and actually there are some simple things to do that could make things better and i think it probably works in all walks of life there are simple things to do that could enhance everybody's life. Imagining putting you in the position then of uh, a new charity, brand new charity. All of the governance, all of the legal issues are all taken care of. So all you've got to think about is getting support, awareness and, and donations for your organisation. And thinking on this level of simplicity, of simple, repeatable, effective ways to make a difference how would you take that organization that brand new charity to its first 1000 donations what would the steps be in an ideal world with all governments sorted i think the way i think about it at the time and again that if i look at so scott harrison at charity water when he set out they split it 100 percent of donations go to the work and then there's a separate setup, separate account for operational costs. If I had that in place, then wonderful, because then someone gives a pound, they know that pound's gone to, to set up. The other side of that is demonstrated impact. I think the, the, the big thing for me is that you will get more support, you will get more money, more money into allow you to do more work if you demonstrate impact. Um, I'll go back to what I said before, support equals a service, equal, uh, equals uh, an impact. Recognising that impact, and I'm not saying that everybody, if you put a pound in that you get a letter saying thank you because you're losing money then, that's just, but a conversation. A, a person you see in the street that's given some money that you go, that money's gone to this. If it's a bigger donation saying you have allowed X amount of young people to, uh, to access this. I think that's a big part of what I am. And I think it would never change if I started an organization. And having 
gone through that and seen the transformation is that the organizations especially bigger organizations that have got a, a wonderful plan and a wonderful csr program and, and, and they are but they gave to an organization because it they went around all of their staff and 90 percent of them didn't know what they did they just recognized the name so they ticked that box they stand there for the big smiley check presentation at, at, at the end of the year and then 12 months later it's a cycle again but but you, that, i had that at where i was you'd stand there for the smiley check 12 months later you're on that cycle again but i don't know what i don't know what impact we had in that in that time in that 12 months realistically if we'd had some kind of idea of where that donation that support had an impact it probably would have doubled it may well have tripled there's no telling that story of impact and delivery and that's across the board um there's there's no there's no charitable organization that can't demonstrate impact. And I think if they can't demonstrate impact, there's something wrong. Um, even a, even a, a, an organization that um, is put it into research. What research? Where? What, if, if, if you, you're helping people, you're helping try and find a solution, you can demonstrate impact. You can demonstrate impact on the smallest scale of going, look, your, your, your 10 pounds has allowed us to do X for this young person. I'm sure people think that's naive to say that's possible across the board, but I'm, I'm not convinced because ultimately what are we trying to do? As a, as a, as a sector, as a, if we're doing the right thing, we're, we're all trying to find the solution. Again, you, you, you look at organisations and you say, I'm not saying you're not spending the money in the right place and doing the right thing. You're just not showing people. And I don't mean at a corporate lunch in front of all of the big donors that put all that money together. It, it should be anyone. And that's quite a simple thing. Social media is a massive platform. And do I see enough impact stories and enough the, the, the real results of work being shown on social media? Everyone raves about social media being this massive platform. And, and, and I started in 2009 on Twitter. Now, Twitter is, a, is regularly known as a cesspool of, a, of, of, of things. It's been the greatest tool for me as a fundraiser in my time because it gave me access to people. It gave me, I could have conversations with people and I could then showcase the difference those people have made to them directly. And that I, whether they're a high profile celebrity that's done something, whether that's somebody that I've never met before that has given a donation because they showed the impact and they can see it. And they can see it, it, it demonstrating impact massively. And if I was to start, a, start a new organizing tomorrow, it would be built around delivery and impact. Um, and that's it. So you've obviously, um, you, you know, you're saying you've used Twitter for, for that length of time and um, you've obviously got some results out of it. So I want to I take this now in, in two places and we'll do this bit first. First of all, what, what's the three most effective ways that you've used Twitter? Thinking about this way of trying to get to actual donations, to trying to help a small charity reach donations. Because social media is one of those things that has for years been thrown about as the solution, the white knight. Oh, just you're not on social. Just get on social and solve everything. Yeah, of course, we know and you know, having used it, it's never as simple as just being on it. And in fact, going onto social in itself is a commitment because you then have a whole set of rules and a whole set of processes and obviously content that you need to generate to make it work. Otherwise, it just is dead and empty. So what are the three most effective methods or ways that you've made use of Twitter to resolve a bit of progress towards getting uh, donations for the organization? Everybody has, everybody, ha everybody has a phone. Everybody has a camera. There's, I don't know, well, not everybody, but most of the people, most people that are running organizations can take a photo of what they're doing and showcase it. Doesn't have to be a flashy 
set up photo of, of, of what the results are. But that clear direction of what you're doing and a link where a simple link where somebody can either follow up and give a donation, follow up, learn more about a story. There's, there's an overcomplication to it sometimes where it's a click here to take you a click here to take you a click here. I'm gone. The world doesn't work like that anymore. Um, I'm a big fan of just giving, um, which is some, some will, again, will be setting fire to um, things because I said that. They, man hours wise, they take away the pressure of gift aid. People put gift aid on, they do all the work for us. Yes, there's a fee. Yes, they're a business. I'm, that's the reality of it. But the man hours to go and claim back manual gift aid is a is a big thing. But a link on there, whether it's just giving, whether whatever that platform is, where somebody can see the story, see the impact, whether that's reading it or visually, and then a link to somewhere where they can support. And that's not always financial. It could be a couple of hours volunteering. So-and-so came in, delivered this, and allowed this young person to do this. So would you like to get on board? Follow this simple link. It's amazing how much volunteering makes a difference if people haven't got money in the pocket, but they've got an hour a week that they can spend supporting that. Um, but it's simple. It's not, it's not overcomplicating thing, and it's telling people, and it's asking questions. Um, Twitter gives you an access to people that are out of reach normally. People that when, when I first started would have been writing a letter and hoping you don't get results all the time. You, you don't. It's not, it's not the reality of it. But that's another thing is that in this thing, in this world, no is not a no is not a problem. If someone says no, you get used to that. The worst things ever are no answers at all. It's you can take a note because you just park it and move on and across the board. But a a yeah, um, yeah, we'll get involved. Yeah. And three months down the line, yeah, we'll get involved. And he's like, well, I've just wasted time on this. But social media in that that world is a simple, it's it's free apart from time um, for a small organization to demonstrate impact. Um, and all you need to do is snap a photo on your phone and put a link to what you've done. Um, it's a massive tool. And as it's grown over the years, and there are so many different platforms now that you have to make some choices on what's the right platform for, for the right message. Um, one of the big things I did before at Dorothy Gunman, we put a lot of the, the photos of what the, the young people were doing on Facebook because that was their parents' go-to choice to see but also there's a double impact then because people could see what the young people were doing and they could see it. So anyone else who wanted to support that could see it as well, but also parents got to see what their young people's day looked like. But, but Twitter is, it just, it gave me access to people that uh, unbelievable stories out of it that I'll, I, I won't bore you with now, but just um, things that are that was really small things in the long term but for such a small charity we're on a massive scale like national scale but we were a small we're a small organization in Leicestershire we were a small organization in Hinkley we but we could reach people that we were getting donations from Japan we get people donations from Australia we wouldn't get that by putting an ad in a local newspaper and spending money that way this was free free access to the world. And I think that was a big thing, but just keeping it simple is the, is the short answer. So to summarize, we might say that the three, the three most effective things you've got, number one is to use it as a live uh, arena to show impact, to keep that impact alive, to really show that you're an organization that isn't just an office, but that is um, stuff happening outside of that, um, you know, where the brochure is written or where the, um, the emails come out of, that you're, you're a live organisation. So you're showing that stuff is actually happening and you're, like you say, having impact. So number one, really using it to demonstrate live impact. And maybe number two, to not be coy 
about asking for yeah. um, support and, like you say, for volunteering, but at the same time to make it convenient yeah. for people that you're asking. So, you, like you say, you don't ask um, if you'd like to donate, come here. And then you, you, I used to, I did some work a while ago. I won't say who it was, but I did some while ago work a while ago for a um, an arts um, organization. And in terms of booking a ticket, you had this platform where you booked a ticket and that platform was at least two or three clicks removed from where you engaged with people. And I knew that that was part of the problem that you were losing. If you think about um, uh, a funnel, you know, a traditional organizational funnel, you know, you're going to lose people along the way. So every stage you put in that funnel is a stage where you're hamstringing yourself because you're, you're bottlenecking essentially and losing people along the way. So making sure that you ask, that you do remember to ask people, but also making sure that that ask is incredibly easy and like you say, simple and that people can just, just do it like that. I guess that's why the texting has worked so well, hasn't it? People just text a number. I mean, I know the Trussell Trust do this. You can just text a donation to uh, the Trussell Trust, literally that then gets added onto your phone bill. So obviously it's convenience and you're making it actually accessible to ask for people. So always demonstrate impact and the live impact of your organization. Make sure that you don't forget to ask and make it easy. But then the third thing, I guess what you're basically saying, and I like this, is that um, you've got to go out into this community. And let's say it's just Twitter. You've actually got to go out into this community, nudge it, prod it, take some risks, ask some questions, get prepared for knockbacks or to be ghosted. But basically to see it that you make of it what you make of it. It is what you make of it. That you yeah. can't just um, you can't just broadcast. You can't just keep doing an update once a day and thinking, why are we not getting anywhere? You've got to go into that community and say, okay, we want um, we want John Snow, so let's just go out and, and drop him a message, or, or let's go, you know, to Dan Snow or something like that, or let's go to this person, or maybe we work up from um, uh, somebody we know who produces a whole load of his programs. But essentially, you're you're saying be confident and go out and ask, and make sure that you're actually being active in that community and and, and not waiting for something to come to you. Yeah, absolutely, because you never know where it's going to lead. You might you might see a simple something that, that you think was a simple ask that you thought was the, the big end of the of the solution. So going out and asking somebody for support that's a, a, in a, a higher profile or, in, or something that matches with the the impacts of the organisation. Now that might be a one off thing. It might not be. The start it might lead to something which is not very high profile, which leads to something massively higher profile, which then puts you in a different arena when it comes to support. And again, it's not all fi- always financial; it's it's volume of support, it's it's getting out there. And um, there was a there was a big uh, <laughs> we had some support. We've had some support from some some reasonably high profile people over time. But that's building a relationship with those people and not abusing it um, and not going back and asking for things every five minutes. And But sharing the message and let them make their own choices. And I think that's thing. There's a lot of noise on social media. There's a lot of noise on Twitter. You can choose to get involved and go down that wormhole or you can spread your message and people that want to come along on that journey will come along on that journey. There's no point chasing the people that don't want to come along that journey once it's not going to happen. The, the, especially in this sector, people, they support organisations through personal choice and through um, things they experience along the way. And like you say, you might have something that, that you don't know a lot about, that all of a sudden you read about it, you see it, you hear about it, and it really has an impact on you. Sorry, actually, I wanted to jump in there and say that is exactly what I was going to go on to next is that idea of impact in making an impact on you, but also demonstrating impact we just talked about. And the last thing I sort of want to ask you to help with is what are the ingredients of demonstrating impact? What, how do you actually do that? Because just taking photos is sometimes, you know, is one thing. But like you said a bit, a bit before, 
it's not about a staged photo. It's not about the traditional local newspaper photographer coming in and getting everybody standing together, holding the guitar above their heads or whatever like that. What yeah. are those ingredients of impact that make a difference so that you do, for instance, in my example, you can go along thinking food banks, food banks, food banks, and you never really get there. And suddenly you, you get a story that comes out of what actually food banks do that changes your perception and your motivation completely. And then you want to, you want to do something to help. So what, from your perspective, are the ingredients of demonstrating impact and ways that you've used that in the past to be effective? Real life stories, uh, real images, like you say, because they are normally the best photos. I took a photo um, earlier, late last year, of a young person having access to an iPad for the first time as a communication device. And the photo is amazing because it's real. It's a real reaction to him saying, I want crisps on an iPad. Now, to some people, they'll go, well, that's, that's nothing. But this, gave, this young person then had access to say, in, on an iPad, I want crisps. Not somebody going, here you go, here's some crisps. Simple things like that. Because that young person can then go, I want the toilet on an iPad. But they're non-verbal and they couldn't do that before. That's a story. It's not earth shattering. It's not a cure to a problem. It's real life solutions. And the photo is real life. It's, you can, if you tell that story of, of what I've just told there and put the photo with it, it's there. And you can see it. You can see it in his face. It's not staged. It's a real life image. It's a real life impact on that, uh, in that moment. Um, you don't always catch it, don't get me wrong. It's, it's not always that simple. But I think there's also that thing of telling people what the reality is. Now, we provided 50 iPads to, to 50 young people that were nonverbal or struggled with speech. That there will be different levels of impact that has on, on them 50 children. They'll all be different. That might, it might go to be able to just use it as a voice it might lead to them being able to, to actually vocalise along the way better sentences, which might just be sentences. It might be paragraphs. It might be they start to form a vocabulary. So it's all very different and very different levels. But it, human, the human right to say, I want the toilet, might be that and type it into something instead of having to hope that people recognize it it's it, it's it's a massive thing so it's real life real life stories real life images real life impact it's and i'm hoping and, and organizations have got that in different levels they can't always take a photo of the impact immediately somewhere down the line but it's telling the right story at the right time um and showcasing what you're achieving, um, no matter where you are. I suppose um, the key part of that as well, to hook right back around to, to where we started in terms of you've got it in your head all the time, you're kind of always on, you're a 24 seven person. It's the fact that if we want to demonstrate impact, and I would say this is not just for charities, this is something that businesses fail to do as well, We've got to be thinking about how we tell the story of what we've achieved before we've achieved it, haven't we? We've got to be thinking about uh, alive to the possibility of something happening in front of us that is worth talking about even before and potentially if nothing happens, something happens. So like you go to an event and you're not waiting for something to happen and then go, oh, we should get a photographer for that. You're going to an event and before the event, you're thinking this event is this kind of event. and It's going to have this kind of activity. I think I should keep my eyes open for this. You're going along to a support group or a, an activity group or something like that. And you, like, you know, like um, you're going along to a, uh, a managed rugby club um, training session that you're going to organize. You are going to it or a representative of the charity is going to it. And really, they've got to be alive to the fact, haven't they, that every moment of that um, time 
could produce something that is going to demonstrate how much work went into the process, but also how much benefit is coming out of the process and that you have to live it, therefore, that you have to live every minute of it. Yeah, and you, and you don't know what that is. You could go in there and someone could put their hands in the pocket and give you a financial benefit. People could go, we want to do a rugby match for your organisation based on what you just told us. You might not get nothing out of it, but it's, you, you've got to be open to, to different, different things that can come out of different opportunities, no matter how big or no, how small. If you're open to it and you are, if you go into that sort of scenario and, and you've got a massive idea and you've just got that one thing that you're going to achieve from it, the likelihood is you're going to be disappointed. If you're open to a very small acorn of, acorn of an idea and that might grow into something bigger, then you're never going to be disappointed by that because you've got thousands of options to thousands of things that have thousand things that can happen and whether that happens immediately it might take 12 months all of a sudden you might like you said about the realization of of, of um, the poverty and the food banks things like that that might not hit a person until 12 months later but if you've told your story and you've demonstrated the impact and you've you've shown that it, it is a cause for the uh, the right cause you'll suddenly be in their minds, whether that's 12 months later or 10 years later, um, because you've done the right thing. You, you, you're, you're demonstrating what you're trying to achieve. And there's nothing that I'm saying here, which is, needs to be done on a massive budget that uh, only a huge organisation with a, a set budget for, um, for that sort of thing. If you go in open-minded and they give you a tenner to a small charity, that might be £10 towards a big thing. It, it, there's, there's so many options, and, and that's why I think I'll, I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it, it's demonstrating that impact and actually delivering something um, and telling the story about what you're trying to achieve, whether you're a small one-man part-time organisation that does it in a couple of hours, and that's their joy after a day at work and that's their fulfillment at the end of a, a hard day's graft is they go home and they do something that's very personal to them it's up to the big organizations it's a very simple thing fantastic well i mean one of the things about me is i am not a complete finisher i'm dreadful at bringing things to a close but i think you've just you've just said everything that really needs to be said and i just want to say thanks so much for coming along Liam and uh, and really appreciate your time and, and all the best for the future and hopefully we can catch up again some other time. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate the time and um, yeah, definitely look forward to speaking again soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you.